Hello and welcome to this episode of Thrill of the Hill. My name's Alec Perry and for the Farm Advisory Service, I'm thrilled to have you with us. In today's episode of Thrill of the Hill, I speak with SAC Woodland Specialist Ben Law about the progress Scottish farmers are making to meet Scottish Government woodland targets, the carbon credit drive and the impacts and lessons to be taken from Storm Arwen. Hello Ben, how's it going? I'm good, yourself Alex? Good. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Fine, can't can't complain. Um, thanks very much for, for joining us on Thrill of the Hill. I know this is your first time on the podcast. Ben, can you just get us kicked off and give us an idea of what some of your background is? Mention some of the work that you do within the forestry team here at SAC. Um, talk a bit about the team and, and what you're kind of working on at the minute. No problem at all. First of all, Alex, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Ben Law. I'm the Senior Forestry Consultant in Inverness and Head of the Forestry and Woodlands Team at SAC Consulting. A uh, bit about my background, I studied forestry at the University of Aberdeen. Uh, I've worked in various aspects of the forestry industry of my career, including within forestry contracting, uh, in utility arboriculture, maintaining wheelies across Scotland for both rail and power line transmission, uh, and within the private sector as well, delivering professional forestry management services for a wide portfolio of clients, including both domestic and overseas investors, trust funds, and private sporting estates, to name but a few. Um, as I said, I currently lead a small team of forestry consultants at SAC Consulting. Uh, we cover the whole of Scotland, delivering professional, impartial advice to clients across the whole rural sector, but especially within farming, and delivering operational project management as well for harvesting, woodland creation, forestry design and delivery, and carbon management, to name but a couple of our services. Um, as a team, we're currently working on a wide number of projects across Scotland, uh, with woodland creations predominantly, uh, ranging in size from half a hectare up to almost a thousand hectares, being delivered from the borders all the way up to the outer isles. Uh, we're doing a lot of harvesting just now and marketing a timber, especially as a result of Storm Arwen, uh, and we're delivering a full range of professional forestry management services for hundreds of clients across the country, varying in size again from crofters all the way up to private investment funds. Brilliant. Sounds like a really dynamic set of work that you've got on the go. Uh, so let's let's start by taking a broad look at things, Ben. This is the first Woodland podcast that we've done post COP26. Um, I just wanted to get your perspective on, on what you thought of COP26 in Glasgow. Um, obviously, the climate crisis got a lot of publicity at the time. Um, do you have any kind of reflections on it? And how do you think Woodland was represented? I think it was great, firstly, to have COP26 hosted in Glasgow and see Scotland on the main stage on this issue. Um, it's great to see that being looked at more closely by the UK and other countries. Woodlands certainly featured strongly within COP26 as a potential solution offered for many of the issues faced today with the climate emergency, but predominantly support was focused on preventing further deforestation and land degradation globally uh, with regards to forestry. Big changes weren't seen at COP26 for the forestry sector, especially within the UK at present. Uh, despite trees being hailed as a keystone technology for carbon uh, sequestration, uh, and that's something which was uh, perhaps disappointing, but not entirely unexpected. We'll maybe get onto it a little bit later in the podcast, but how do you feel broadly about the level of support that Scottish Government are offering for woodland creation in Scotland now? So the moment we've got a lot of support from Scottish Government uh, in policy, certainly for within creation. Um, and there's this very ambitious planning targets ahead of us to deliver across Scotland for the next uh, 10 years at least. Um, I think the main challenge we're facing just now is going to be the, the cost of delivery. 
Uh, prices have continued to rise across the sector in forestry, as with every other industry, um, but particularly affecting the cost of fencing, the cost of uh, labour, uh, the cost of running machines, especially ground preparation and harvesting, uh, and the cost of fencing in particular, seeing a massive jump in prices over the past uh, two years. I was talking with our producer before the start of the recording this morning, and I was joking about how there's always been a woodland speaker on the podcast for each season. In season one, we had David Eady join us, and he was talking about planting opportunities for farmers. And then in season two, we were joined by Virginia Harden-Scott, who was very much advocating for agroforestry. So this is very much part three in what I'm calling our woodland trilogy. Um, I think both previous speakers did a fantastic job, but things are moving really quickly within the sector right now. And I was hoping that you could just get us kicked off with a bit of a quick update as to, to what's been happening and what people need to know about. In brief, Alex, it's a very busy sector. Um, there's demand like no other just now for within creation, um, driven by, as we say, very strong grant support, very high land prices, and rocketing timber and carbon prices also driving market growth there. Simultaneously, there's a rising demand for timber, especially within the wake of Brexit, with the challenges of global exports really hitting home in the UK now. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic obviously affecting all aspects of life, uh, and more recently as well, the Ukraine war. Um, finally, there's a massive pressure as well as a result of the winter storms we've seen this year, with over 2 million tonnes of timber estimated to have been brought down in these storms. Um, timber that landowners and the forestry sector as a whole are now working very hard to recover and to bring to market. And Ben, the idea behind this podcast in particular is that we discuss the topics that are affecting sectors that are involved in the farmed upland environment. So do we know how forestry is doing in terms of a sector? Um, how is woodland targets um, going in terms of Scotland's um, overall targets for climate change? And can you discuss that a little bit? So Scotland is storming ahead with its planting targets, uh, delivering a total in 2021 of 10,600 hectares of new woodland creation, which was 80% of all tree planting uh, in 2021 across the whole of the UK. And despite the challenging conditions seen and multiple COVID-19 lockdowns, that's something we can be very proud of. It still falls slightly short of our targets, and targets again for this year are higher again. We're looking at 15,000 hectares as a target this year, uh, but it's still a monumental effort from the industry. So planting efforts this year have increased even further. We're seeing what looks to be a record-breaking year with a lot of planting commitments already signed up for. Um, I bet we're going to see even more pressures this year with shortages of trees, contractors and rising costs again affecting efforts. And Ben, in what what is your general impression of what is being planted in, in Scotland? Are, are we looking at conifer plantation is it broadleaf uh, or riparian areas are, are they buffer strips i mean what what is making up the bulk of of scotland's planted area right now so today under the forestry ground scheme we've seen a fairly balanced planting uh, between conifers and broadleafs when we consider the whole of scotland with the balance sitting at to date 59 percent conifer and other options and 41 percent native trees in reality, we're seeing roughly a 50-50 split between broadleaf and conifer planting models in Scotland at present. And this is raising some concerns in the industry, certainly about the forecasted shortfalls in domestic timber supply, especially from 2030 onwards. 
average planting size for approved grants last year was still quite small at 26 hectares in total. So by no means are the landscape scale woodland creations dominating the market, even if they are dominating the press at present. The split between conifers and broadleaf trees varies significantly as you move around the country. Lowland sites in central Scotland, which have better soils, better road access and shorter distances to market, are planting a larger proportion of commercial conifers. Likewise, more remote and rural communities, such as the Highlands, are planting a far greater proportion of broadleaves, as many of these sites will not be viable for a commercial timber crop. Certainly, it's been harder to plant riparian woodlands in the recent years due to rocketing prices for fencing, planting stock and tree shelters. And unfortunately for smaller blocks, such as shelter belts, this means they're struggling again to retain financial viability at times, unless additional support is possible from either additional grant options, such as the Central Scotland Green Network contribution, or from carbon credits. And do you think, Ben, that that is something that will be addressed, that over time options like shelter belts and riparian buffer strips will become a more viable option? Um, or, or are we really going for broke on large scale planting schemes? So certainly the, the policy just now is uh, very much driven to deliver with creation at scale. Um, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to deliver as much with creation as we can to meet our, our climate objectives uh, with as little public funding as possible. We've got a very limited pot of funding to work with. In terms of how that's going to change in the future, we're already seeing uh, a shift in the dynamic with more smaller schemes coming to market, and that's driven predominantly by the Woodland Carbon Code, with the additional funding that's available for Woodland Creations, but especially supporting smaller schemes, those that are better integrated within the landscape, uh, shelter belts, riparian woodlands, and farm woodlands especially, uh, schemes that under the Forestry Grant Scheme just now are struggling with public grant funding to make them viable. And Ben, just on the Woodland Carbon Code, that was the next thing I was going to ask you. Um, can you just lay out what the incentives are for farmers, crofters and landowners who are looking to do planting? I mean, how does the Woodland Carbon Code fit into to those who are who are looking at potentially doing some, some woodland creation? So the Woodland Carbon Code was established in 2011. It's the UK's quality assurance standard for new woodland creation projects looking to generate independently verified carbon credits. It's a code that's internationally recognised for high standards of sustainable forest and carbon management, and it's endorsed by ICROA, International Carbon Reduction and Offset Alliance. At present, landowners in Scotland can potentially benefit from significant public and private funding to create new woodlands. Funding can be sourced through the Forestry Grant Scheme, offering generous funding for both the capital items, such as deer fencing associated with new planting, as well as the tree planting and maintenance costs themselves. They've also got the option there to retain eligibility for BPS payments and to also potentially sell carbon credits for further income generation. Carbon prices have risen dramatically in recent years, and this is really what's pushing up the values generated in forestry, with timber prices from harvesting crops also really boosting the value offered from trees. You mentioned there, Ben, retaining the, the value of the BPS going forward. Do we have any indication yet of what the kind of long-term future for woodlands and the BPS is going to be? I mean, we know that we're going into this kind of transitional phase. Basic payment is confirmed up until the end of 2024. Do you have any kind of um, inkling as to, to what woodland support is going to look like in the future and how that might be tied to basic payment? So as you're saying, Alex, we're still sitting within a transitional phase for grant support in Scotland at present. 
we've seen the current Forestry Grand Scheme extended uh, beyond its original life, uh, lifespan. And this is as a result of additional funding that's been committed to by the Scottish Government uh, to backfill the money that we were previously getting from the European Union. The Forestry Grand Scheme is going to run now until uh, 31st of December 2023. After that point, there will be a replacement. We've had reassurance from Scottish ministers that grant funding will still be available for forestry within creation in Scotland, although what format that takes, we're still to see. There is still policy vacuum, and the challenge we're facing within forestry is that we are very closely tied to agricultural funding as well. So without guidance from one sector, we can't know what's going to happen in the other. Uh, These need to come hand in hand, and the sooner we get clear guidance, the better we can plan for the future. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm not looking, and I'm not going to hold you to, to an answer. But um, just thinking while while you're talking, the ability to continue claiming basic payment on land that has been planted is a big incentive for people, particularly where it's higher quality, more productive land. People like that kind of sense of security. Um, so just interested to to see whether you had an inkling into where things are going there. So, Ben, one of the other questions that we quite often hear is, does the Woodland Carbon Code um, apply to existing woodlands or is it just for new planting schemes? Can you kind of lay out that a little bit? So the Woodland Carbon Code only applies to new woodland creations. Uh, This is due to a condition of eligibility for the Woodland Carbon Code, and it's called additionality. Essentially, what makes the carbon capture delivered under the Woodland Carbon Code unique from some of the other global schemes And what gives the UK units generated by the Woodland Carbon Code such value is the fact that all the units are accredited for and are additional, i.e. that the carbon capture delivered would not have taken place without the carbon credit funding received. This ensures that all Woodland Creation projects have individual merit and that the carbon funding received isn't paying for capture that would have otherwise happened anyway. It's what sets us apart in the UK from some other global schemes where landowners are getting paid to for example, not cut down trees or to grow trees which are already there. There's unlikely to be a shift in this area anytime soon, so existing woodlands are likely to be excluded from the Woodland Carbon Code for the foreseeable. And uh, Ben, we've talked a little bit about carbon now. I wanted to come on to the issue of conservation. Obviously, um, Scottish Government have made no secret about the fact that we are also in a biodiversity crisis in addition to a climate crisis. What kind of considerations um, do you have to make when we're talking about woodland and biodiversity? What what incentives are there? What links are there between woodland creation and biodiversity enhancement? So what will the creation that we deliver just now through the Forestry Grant Scheme incentivises biodiversity improvements to some extent? With even the most commercial conifer plantation not allowed to exceed 75% of the total area of one species. As such, all schemes to date now have an element of diversity built in, with a requirement for at least some native woodland planting, even under the hardline commercial conifer models. And the vast majority of foresters now are utilising a mixture and multiple planting models on larger sites, such as diverse conifers, larger native components, and productive broadleaves as well, to deliver truly diverse sites and to add biodiversity value, habitat and landscape value as well. And uh, just touching on the the climate crisis as well um, and adverse weather patterns, I know you mentioned Storm Arwen kind of briefly at the beginning of the podcast, but can you just explain what impact Storm Arwen has had on the sector and and how the sector's dealing with that? 
So Storm Aaron had a massive impact in the UK, as did the subsequent storms we faced with Barra, Corrie, Eunice and Malik also impacting the UK and forestry in particular. Numerous homes, families and businesses were affected, and there was tragically a loss of life seen as well with some of these storms. Uh, many people facing disruption as well, lasting over a fortnight in some cases, particularly in the northeast. Forestry did not escape the impact of these storms, and areas of the UK, particularly the northeast of Scotland, saw woodlands decimated by some of the strongest storm winds we've seen in the last 30 years. Current estimates suggest we've seen over 2 million tonnes of timber lost across Scotland, and the north of England as well. And the entire industry is currently working flat out to try and recover as much of this timber for landowners before it is lost to market, as well as delivering a massive planting year with some of our most ambitious planting targets seen to date. And in terms of Storm Arwen, Ben, do you get the sense that this is the inevitable consequence of changing weather patterns? Or are there lessons to be learned from the woodland sector about how planting is done? I mean, what what do we put the storm damage down to? Is it just climate change and there's nothing we can do about it? Or have things been uh, learned and, and will things be adapted in the future? So in terms of the damage we've seen with Storm Arwen in particular, it was a very strong storm and the direction of the winds was unusual as well. We had the winds coming in for the north. So stands that have survived for the past 30, 40 years without any impact of previous winter storms were hit very hard by this storm. Now, it's in some senses, it's been made worse by the changing climate. We've seen warmer, wetter winters. So ground that would otherwise might have been frozen over winter and as such holding trees more stable was wetter, more subject to roots being heaved during these strong winds. Now, the weather we saw isn't uncommon. Um, We do see these storms of these nature and strength and severity coming through on a a cyclical pattern. The last storms we saw of this scale are probably the 1980s, but we have seen very severe storms in early 1950s as well. So it normally rolls around every 30 years or so. The real challenge we're facing is the number of storms we saw this winter. So Storm Arwen opened up many stands that were previously wind firm, and the subsequent storms we had that were more typical of winter, so storms Barra, storms Eunice, storm Malik, uh, then opened up far more damage than they would have otherwise been able to do. Lessons that have been learned from it? Well, I think the forestry industry has been adapting significantly over the past uh, few decades, certainly. It is a long rotation business. So we are working with crops that will be 40, 50, 60 years in rotation, so far longer to make adaptions than you might see in other sectors, especially in agriculture. We might be looking at two years for a crop rotation. As such, the adaptions we're making now, a lot of the times we won't see the impact of these for another 30, 40 years. Ground preparation techniques have changed dramatically in the past 40 years. We're seeing less of the linear cultivation techniques we saw in the past, so there's certainly far less ploughing uh, on forestry sites than we'd seen previously. We're seeing far more low-impact forestry, where we're using shallow screefs and hinge mounds instead of uh, deep-ripping uh, ploughs and furrows that we would have seen to date. As such, these sites may well be far more resilient to future storms. Uh, only time will tell. And uh, Ben, you've talked a little bit about where planting is happening in Scotland, but in terms of scope for additional planting going forward, where do you think these areas in Scotland are geographically? Are there trends that are interesting that you're taking note of right now? 
So at present, the most planting undertaken has been within South Scotland, uh, followed in second and third place by the Highlands and Islands and by Perth and Argyll, respectively. This is roughly what we'd expect, with the areas of central Scotland and Grampian having lower planting uptake due to a higher grade of land and also larger population centres. I personally feel the area with the biggest scope for tree planting in Scotland at present is likely to be the Highlands due to the vast areas of land currently in declining management in the form of traditional sporting estates and moorland. Uh, perhaps I'm biased though living up here. And uh, I was going to ask you, wh- where do you stand on the issue of planting highly productive land? There are a lot of farmers in Scotland who are expressing their concerns over the loss of ground that would have historically been used to grow barley, to grow wheat, to cut silage. I mean, what what is your stance on that issue? So there's always going to be a land use conflict in the UK due to the fact that we are a relatively densely populated and relatively small island when looking at the UK in a global context. We've seen centuries of intense land management within the UK, and this reached a peak certainly during 1919 with the UK's tree cover falling to 5%, something we're still recovering from now with a land cover of approximately 13% compared to European average, which is far closer to 40%. Trees have always been confined to the margins of productive land, and to otherwise undesirable areas of farming, such as peat bogs or the mountains of the UK. And this is a result of a small nation focusing on agricultural production to supply expanding populations and industrial revolutions. As we move to tackle the climate emergency we've subsequently created, though, we can no longer afford to be narrow-minded with our land stewardship in the UK. If we wish to diversify away from having only Sitka spruce plantations on bogs and hills, Planting more productive broadleaves and diverse conifer crops is going to have to be done. These crops will deliver more biodiversity and deliver more benefits, including carbon capture. But we're going to have to accept this will come at a cost, and this will mean moving trees further down the hills and closer to the lower slopes, so favoured for agriculture. Now, clearly, I'm not advocating the planting of whole farms of agricultural class one land with trees. We still need to ensure we have food security, especially in our current cost of living crisis. But we do also need to ensure that forestry is more integrated in the landscape, especially if we want to build resilience and adapt more to protect our food and timber supply security within this changing climate. I suppose I'm really advocating balance here and a wider distribution of trees across the landscape instead of being confined to the poor and inaccessible margins like we've seen for so much recent history. And obviously, Ben, we've talked about it a couple of times um, in the podcast, but Obviously, climate change is the big driver for policy. In terms of conifer versus broadleaf, do we know what is a more effective carbon sink? You know, if if climate change is our sole or or, or our highest priority, um, what should we be planting and, and where should we be planting it? So in terms of the, the age-old question of broadleafs or conifer, uh, it really depends on your objectives. Uh, if you're looking to deliver solely on biodiversity, then a diverse mixed woodland is your best bet. You're looking for something that delivers a lot of native trees, which is what our, our native fauna are adapted to live from. Uh, so lots of fruit and nut trees, for example, rowan, uh, hazels, oak, aspen. But we need to also bear in mind that we still need to have a timber security as well, a timber supply. Whilst native woodlands lock up carbon for long term, uh, some woodlands, oak uh, woodlands, for example, surviving for many centuries, when you look at a life cycle uh, scale, 
the commercial timber we're growing captures carbon far qu- more quickly than native produce. They've got a faster growth rate, which translates to faster carbon capture. And not only that, the carbon that we're locking up with uh, commercial conifer trees then goes to market as commercial saw logs. It goes into the market as timber beams, as roof trusses. And the timber that we're creating that goes into the market for saw logs could well be locking up carbon for the next few hundred years in the form of housing stock. Timber markets now, we use every aspect of the product. So we're using every part of the tree from the roots to the branches near enough. Uh, We've got the saw logs, we've got the biomass aspects, we've got harvesting residues we're collecting now to fuel energy supply, whereas previously we would have been relying on fossil fuels such as coal. So it's really becoming a very much efficient sector. Uh, delivering a wide range of benefits and products. And Ben, you mentioned um, the Ukraine conflict earlier on. Obviously, there's a lot of discussion right now about supply chains um, and sustainable uh, practices at home. How do you see um, input prices increasing, particularly I'm thinking um, the likes of of diesel and and fuel. How do you see that impacting forestry going forward? We know that it's going to have an impact on on agriculture. We've already seen historically high um, costs of inorganic fertilizer. You know, silage season is just around the corner. A lot of people are going to be burning a lot of diesel. How how do you see um, the supply chains factoring into the forestry sector? So I think the impact we're going to see is we're going to see more businesses struggling. We're going to see costs rising dramatically for many aspects. Forestry has always had a very tight margin to work within uh, due to the the cost requirements we have for delivering trees on such scale, but also the the payments we're receiving for timber. Uh, These are very much driven to the the bottom line uh, for many uh, sites across the board. And the prices in forestry, frankly, haven't changed that much in the past 15 years, whereas we've seen far quicker acceleration in the costs of the materials generated. In terms of what impact we're going to see within the sector, I think we're going to see more mechanisation where we can. We're going to see better use of machinery on sites and management, but we're also going to see more recovery of material from sites. So in the past, we might have seen uh, material going under the tracks of machines on particularly wet sites. Uh, certainly in the past three years, we've seen machines being adapted to have lower ground pressure, wider tracks, so they can recover very much down to the, the last ton of material possible from the site uh, to try and cover this, this margin that's ever decreasing. Uh, the impact it's going to have within agriculture, I think we're going to see more farmers looking more closely at the land management. We're going to see farmers potentially looking to move away from the very marginal fields that they've been struggling to maintain for years uh, with lots of input. Uh, For example, where they've had to put a lot of lime in the soil or constantly revisit fields for drainage. Uh, These areas may well be where we see the next forestry crops being planted. Uh, Better integration of trees and farms, which I think is no bad thing. Do you know, actually, you've just touched on something that's really quite interesting. There's a lot of discussion, obviously, around um, climate change and reduction of emissions across various farm sectors, all farm sectors. Um, And uh, doing a lot of of carbon audits right now, the the kind of general impression I get is that we are seeing a transition away from the question of what is my carbon footprint 
and is that better than last year to what are my total emissions and have they reduced um, so I do think that uh, there has been that kind of mindset shift. Uh, and I was just curious, do you notice that in your day-to-day -day working with farmers? Do you think that there is that mindset change? Do you think people are more open to looking at options for woodland planting? So we're certainly starting to notice this mindset shift within the industry. Uh, a lot of our inquiries coming through at present have carbon in the background of almost every question. So we're seeing far more agricultural units considering tree planting the previous years, although uptake is perhaps still slower in some areas than it needs to be. And this is probably down to the current subsidies with agriculture and uh, the current uncertainty as to what comes next. A lot of the more forward-thinking farmers are already looking into what opportunities trees can afford their businesses alongside existing farming practices. And I'd commend this approach of integrating the trees into their units a well-designed farm woodland can increase farm productivity. It can deliver a diversified income stream and it can build farm resilience against pests, diseases, flooding and global warming. And, and who could argue with that logic? Perceptions starting to shift gradually. Um, but I think the biggest driver of change here is the uncertainty as to what's going to follow the demise of CAP in 18 months time and the growing opinion within the farming sector that farms will have to deliver a diversification and deliver far more biodiversity benefits than they'd previously been asked to qualify for future support. I think with everything we've heard from Scottish government to date, this is a pretty reasonable assumption. And you just mentioned Scottish government there, so I will ask you this question, Ben. We know that Scottish government have talked about wanting to see transformational change across all sectors within the industry. So my overarching question to you um, today is, what does transformational change mean to you at a practical level? And what, what do you think that we need to see within farming to encourage that transformational change? So I'd say transformational change for me uh, would be a normalization of trees within the rural environment. Uh, this would be of trees integrated along riparian zones uh, to reduce flooding, of trees and hedges being used as standard within field margins, and along roads as well uh, to reduce wind speeds across fields to provide shade and shelter from the extreme weather that is increasingly likely to come across every season uh, and of a more resilient na national reserve of woodlands being managed productively across the landscape to supply a steady market of both commercial timber and of wood fiber we need more trees and we need more variety of species and in different places so not just to soak up the carbon from the atmosphere but also to supply the materials we need to revolutionise and decarbonise our housing stock. If we don't grow timber domestically, then we're only outsourcing our timber supply to overseas and we're adding to emissions by importing this vital material that we're so dependent on. And Ben, maybe a bit of an unfair question, but if you had a crystal ball, where do you see this sector being in, in 10 years' time? Is the outlook for woodlands in Scotland positive? So in forestry, our, our entire mantra is around looking to the future. <laughs> uh, all of our crops will potentially outlive us. Um, so I think uh, looking reflectively on what we've seen to date and what we're likely to see in the near future, the market in 10 years' time will likely still be a pretty difficult place. We're delivering a vast amount of wooden creation at present, and long may it continue. But we've also got an ageing industry with many of the experienced professionals likely, likely to retire in the next decades 
and a few, very few people coming in behind them to succeed them. This affects every step of the supply chain, from the tree nurseries, to the planters, to the harvesters, to the timber hauliers, the sawmillers, and even to the foresters who coordinate the full life cycle. On top of this, there is already a predicted shortfall of commercial conifer crops that will be ready for harvesting in 2030, and this is due to historic gaps in planting and a predicted vast increase in the demand for timber as the market moves away from concrete and steel building and uses more timber within the construction sector. The challenges we face within the forestry sector are very similar to those in nature of the farming sector, with an ageing workforce, increasingly tight margins and increasingly tight competition from other sectors. So I think it's going to be certainly a lucrative sector, if somewhat tense, and I'd recommend anyone looking to move into it now (laughs) to certainly consider doing so sooner rather than later. Uh, Trees don't grow particularly quickly. And Ben, just on that point there, if somebody is interested in doing some woodland planting, if they want to explore their options, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, and Indeed, do they go through the Farm Advisory Service? What, what's the best way of, of starting the process? So I'd recommend anyone looking for a, an insight into woodland creation and to consider whether this can be the right move for you uh, is to start with the Farm Advisory Service. There's a wealth of material on the Farm Advisory Service for all land managers, ranging from crofters to large estates, and especially for farmers. So there's information there about woodland creation, about woodland maintenance, about where to put trees on on your unit, and also what benefits they can potentially deliver. Look first at your current practices. Look at what you potentially need to do to build resilience within your unit. It might be you're looking to diversify income. It might be you're looking to add shelter and shade for your livestock. It might be you're looking to protect crops from potentially strong winds in the future or from potential drought issues affecting you across summers. So look first at your objectives, then look at your land available and find where these areas might potentially fit. And then through the Farm Advisory Service, there's obviously the advice line. Uh, One of the best routes we're using at present is the Specialist Advice Plans for Woodland and Conservation. This is an opportunity to get an independent, impartial and professional advisor to come visit you in a unit, talk to you about your objectives and see where work can be done to make improvements. This process has to be guided by you. You have to know where you want to move in terms of where you want to diversify your business and where trees might fit within. But once you've got an idea of that, certainly reach out, get in touch. Our details are on the Farm Advisory Service and also on the SAC Consulting website. Brilliant. And Ben, just a final question. I ask this to absolutely everybody who comes on the podcast. What have you seen recently happening within the sector, within the industry, that you think we should spotlight, that you think more people should be paying attention to? Are there any innovative ideas uh, or new practices that, that you've seen that you think are particularly good? So we're seeing some fantastic projects coming through now where farmers are planting shelter belts and riparian buffers to protect the best and most productive fields from weather, from global warming and from flooding. And they're also planting larger blocks as well on their marginal fields uh, using commercial species, uh, conifers, but also productive broadleaves as well to create a future reserve of timber, uh, which gives them a bit of a buffer and a bit of protection against future uncertainties whilst it also offers the opportunity for them to offset their own carbon emissions. Carbon is certainly playing a massive part in the industry, and we can't deny the way the prices have gone over the past few years. 
We've seen prices increasing from £2 a tonne of carbon dioxide sequestered about two years ago to £15 per tonne uh, December of last year. And even spring this year, we've seen prices again rise to £20 per tonne in some places. So it's certainly a growing sector. We're also seeing some fantastic examples coming through of agroforestry, where trees are integrated into the farm, uh, both on livestock units uh, to provide shade and shelter for livestock, uh, potentially protecting uh, animals during calving or lambing. Uh, we're also seeing integration of shelter belts onto farms for arable systems. And the, the results we're seeing from these in terms of the increase in productivity and the improved resilience against the drought summers that we're seeing more and more frequently uh, is incredible. Uh, and I think long may this continue. Brilliant. Well, um, thanks very much, Ben. I uh, I don't want to keep you too long, um, so I think we'll we'll just wind down the podcast. But but thank you very much for coming on through all the help. Really enjoyed having you on. Um, I've certainly learned an awful lot. I don't do an awful lot of woodland stuff, and it's always interesting to to hear um, what's going on um, in your guys' sector. Um, so um, thank you very much, Ben. It's it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Alex, for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Thrill the Hill. If you've enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe and follow our podcast. Leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all our contact details at the bottom of our show notes. You may also enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as CropCast, our monthly show providing advice, updates and scientific insight into crops and soils. Or Stock Talk, our monthly panel show providing timely updates and advice for livestock producers. Join us again next month for our next episode of Thrill of the Hill. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.